Well, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody feeling this morning? Good, good, good. How are we feeling about the game today? We feeling good? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I do see that there are a couple of people that were praying for us. I saw a Green Bay Packers jersey in the house today. We love them anyway. I saw a Dallas Cowboys jersey in the house today. Nobody cares. I grew up a Cowboys fan, so Cowboys are kind of like my second team. Um, but boy, I love seeing red today. Somebody got on my case today about why I'm not wearing red. Why, where's my Chiefs gear? And I only have so much. And so I'm waiting for Super Bowl Sunday, if you don't mind. I'm just going to wear it then. Amen all by myself. Well, man, it's going to see you this morning. I'm so glad you're with us today. If you're new, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Jernigan. It's my great privilege to be the pastor here. I'm so excited that you came to spend a little bit of your Sunday with us. and so excited to have all of our Discover Church fam online. Thanks for tuning in. Listen, would you give them a round of applause? Let them know that you're glad that they're here. You are a part of our family. And so we're glad that you're with us. Today, I'm going to be bringing a message to you that I have titled, Spoiler Alert. And this is a spoiler alert. Alert! If you have been uh, in the situation uh, where you are watching a show or a movie or you've recorded a game and you have told people, don't tell me what happens in the end, I've seen people go to such extents that they've just made a declaration. I am off of social media until... They get to the end of their show or their movie or, or the game. But have you ever been in that situation where, where you were like, hey, please don't tell me what happens. And then someone comes along and goes, you're not going to believe that the Chiefs won. And you're like, it's frustrating, right? Like, I mean, the whole point of, of watching the game or the whole point of watching a show or a movie is, is the emotional journey that we get to go on as the observers. And, 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 you know, for Chiefs fans, I'll let me talk football for a second. For Chiefs fans, we have just been, well, we had just kind of grown accustomed of misery. How many times did we go to the playoffs and lose in the first round? How many times did that happen? And, and the reality of it is, is that, that when, you, when you are looking forward to, when you are anticipating enjoying a story, enjoying a show, enjoying a game, and somebody spoils the ending for you, it's really frustrating. And if we're honest, it almost even asks us, like, what's the point now of even watching the thing? Because now I'm not even going to be emotionally invested. The Chiefs lost. I don't even care anymore. Yeah, I don't even care that that was a great play. The Chiefs lost. And then you just, you know, hold a grudge against the person that told you about it forever and, and you hope to move on. But the reality of it is, is that when you know the end of the story, um, it, it kind of spoils the whole journey for you. In this series that we're in called The Comeback, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to convince you that the best really is yet to come. And I'm very aware of the season that we are still in and, and the, the, the condition of the world around us. But I am trying to convince you that if you will, will listen to, if you will lean into, if you will, if you will follow this verse, this is our theme verse for the year, by the way, as a church, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to teach you in this series that if you will do this verse, if you you will in every area of your life, if you will look to Jesus, if everything around you falls apart, but you purpose in your heart and you decide I'm going to look to Jesus, no matter what's going on around you, then what I'm trying to convince you of is that the best is yet to come. What I'm trying to convince you of is that 21 can be worse than 2020, but if you focus your eyes and look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith then 2021 can be the best year of your life. And I believe that it can be a comeback year for you. That's what I'm trying to do. And last week we spent time uh, and, I, and I walked you through the story of the resurrection of Jesus and, and, and how that truth anchors us. It, 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 the fact that Jesus came back from the grave gives us hope. It provides a, a foundation of truth that we can, we can stand on. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to teach you and walk you through a second truth that is essential to the Christian faith. And it's the truth that Jesus is going to come back someday. 
And the reality of it is, is right now where we live, we are suspended between these two moments in time. A moment that happened in the past where Jesus really did come back from the grave. As I said last week, I believe it's the most proven event in the, in the, in the arc of human history. And we stand suspended between the next awesome event when Jesus comes back. And we can look retroactively at the resurrection of Jesus, but today what I want to do is I want to look forward to the return of Jesus. And I just want to tell you this, like if you've grown up in church, if you've been around church, you've probably heard some messages like this. You may have even spent some time studying this and developed some, some deeply held core convictions. One of the things that people within the church and especially people in the pastor circles that I run in uh, debate is, is how's it all going to go down? The reality is, is we don't know. Some of us have some expectations and some of us may be shocked by the reality of those expectations. For instance, I have been kind of amused this year in the midst of everything that's gone on this year. Uh, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of uh, things on social media about the apocalypse and the end of the age and the end of days. And it, it, as always, the internet is undefeated when it comes to funny stuff. And so I found some, some things that I thought were kind of funny that talk about maybe expectation versus reality when it comes to the end of days. And, and let me show you the first one. Um, this is the first one. We maybe thought that it was going to be like the top picture, but none of us expected it to be like the bottom picture. I think her name in the middle, her name is Karen. I believe I heard. By the way, can we just also say, I'm just so sorry for anybody named Karen. I am. Here's the deal. With a name like Jernigan, I don't ever have to worry about it being a, 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 a common theme. All right, so here's, here's one. Let me show you another one uh, for all the fellows in the house. That's very true, isn't it? It's very true. We have these expectations. The apocalypse coming. I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to be bad. Instead, I'm going to be the dude. <laughs> That's true. Ladies, I didn't forget about you. The reality is, some of y'all are a little upset, ladies, because you're like, that's not me, that's my husband. Expectation versus reality on the end of days. And it's just been kind of, kind of interesting to me to see so many people talking about it. And uh, especially when, you know, again, like I said, in pastor circles, man, this, this is one of the things that, that preacher men love to just get around a circle and just debate about. I hate it. I hate these kind of debates. Um, but but the, the, the reality of it is, is, if you've grown up around church, you're probably familiar with this. And can I also just acknowledge, if you're new to church or maybe new to the Bible or faith, um, can I just, just openly acknowledge that when, we, when Christian people start talking about this, it sounds really kooky. Like, I understand that. Anytime people start talking about things that are supposed to happen, it sounds really kooky, okay? Um, but what I'm going to be doing today is, is walking you through um, a part of Scripture that is prophetic. It's, it's speaking of a time that is yet to come. And there's a whole lot of good and godly people that disagree about how this is going to play out, what the sequence of events are. But there's two things that we emphatically know to be true. Number one, Jesus will absolutely come back and be the king of heaven and earth. We know that. According to God's word, which has been proven over and over and over again to be true when it comes to matters of, of prophecy, history has proven that over and over and over again, that Jesus is absolutely going to come back. Here's the second thing we know to be true. Don't none of y'all know how it's going to play out, but God does. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. We can read and we can speculate and, and we, can, we can pull back the pages of prophecy and, and I, could, I could come up here and preach some, some probably some compelling messages for some of you and some of you would be like, dear Lord, get me out of here. When we start talking about some of that, and I could tell you what I think, but we don't know for sure. What we do know is that God knows. So what I want to do today, if you open your Bibles, if you have them, we're going to be in Revelation chapter five today. That's the last book in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. We'll put them up on the screen, but I encourage it because it will change your life if you will spend some time in it. So I'm proud of a little bit of backdrop here. Revelation five was written by a dude named John. John was uh, a guy who was a disciple of Jesus, and he was uh, given the opportunity um, 
to be given a prophetic vision uh, by God. This was written in the first century AD. And, and John uh, is, is basically in a dream, in a vision. He's, he's called up to heaven by God and God gives him instructions on things to write. And there's some crazy, crazy things that are happening in the book. But we're going to start in Revelation chapter 5. And what I hope, what I hope you'll see today, and, and this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and what I hope to do today is I hope to be able to help you see this idea of the end times from maybe a different vantage point. If we can get past all the debates and, and my opinion, your opinion, and if we can just look at the hope and the bedrock of truth that God's word provides for us about what the second coming of Jesus is going to be like, then I believe it will provide a bedrock for you that will give you a reason to anticipate hope again and to believe that the best really is yet to come. And so we're going to dive in today. If you're with me, let me hear you say, come back. There we go. Revelation chapter five, it says this. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back. And it was sealed with seven seals. Now, what is this scroll? This scroll is the title deed to planet earth. It is, it is the, the, the one who owns and possesses the title deed to planet earth is the one who gets to have authority, who gets to call the shots about what happens on planet earth. Scripture tells us about that God is in, is in heaven um, and, and that that's where he dwells and that there's angels there and, 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 and Jesus is in heaven at the moment. But, but God also tells us some interesting things about planet earth. In fact, God tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 um, that the devil is called uh, the God little g of this age. Ephesians chapter two calls the devil the prince of the power of the air. And, and despite whether or not you believe in the devil or not, I can promise you that he is real. And the best con job that's ever been conned is when he convinces people that he's not. And the devil, God has allowed the devil temporarily, momentarily to have authority on planet earth. It's kind of like, uh, for those of you guys that own a house, the reality is, is most of you don't own your house. Your bank owns your house and you are paying for the right to live there until you finally pay off the debt and you can have the title deed. And at that point, you can do whatever the heck you want to with it. In the same kind of way, the devil does not own planet earth. God owns planet earth. But for a moment, the devil has been given temporary authority, temporary uh, uh, occupancy to be able to do his thing. And Chris talked about this verse uh, it, just a little bit ago because the Bible actually tells us what the devil's agenda is. He's not, very, he's not very subtle about his agenda. And Jesus just calls a spade a spade. And this is what he says in John 10, verse 10. He says, the thief does not come except... Is the only reason why he's here. It, this is his only goal, his only agenda, his only initiative is for your life and for mine and for your parents' life and for your spouse's life and for your kid's life. His desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. He, 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 he's doing everything he possibly can to make your life and your kid's life and your parents' life and your marriage and all of the things a living hell. That's his goal. And so he will steal things from you. He will take things from you that you thought were a sure thing and he will take them for you for no other reason than to watch joy leave your body. If given the opportunity, he will, he will kill you. He will literally bring things into your life and, and situations into your life to literally extinguish your life. But I believe the thing that he gets the most pleasure from is destroying you because there's something worse than dying. It's being forced to live with nothing to live for. But Jesus says, that, that's his thing. But here's my thing. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. In this one verse, we see and get a glimpse of the cosmic battle of good versus evil. The devil's agenda and Jesus's agenda. And we're living in a time where those agendas are at odds and at war. And we are the ones that oftentimes feel the ripple effects and the consequences of the moments when evil and darkness win a battle. And so what this scroll is, is it's the title deed to planet Earth. And what John is saying here is John is saying, listen, I saw on the right hand of him, that's God the Father, set on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. 
Verse two says, then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. This angel that John sees is saying, who... Who's the one that has the keys? Who's the one that has earned the right? Who can take possession of the title deed to planet earth? And John says, there was nobody able to do it. On one hand, that's encouraging because that means that the devil doesn't have the authority to do it and he never will. But for John, he's really discouraged. In fact, notice what happens as John realizes this verse four. He says, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Why does John weep here? John weeps because he's broken. John weeps because of the hopelessness of it all. You see, what you need to know about John is John was arrested and he was persecuted and he was condemned because he was preaching the message of Jesus. And people didn't like that very much. And as was the case with all of the disciples of Jesus, they were arrested and ultimately all of them gave their life for the cause of Christ. But John faced something very interesting. Church history tells us that, that upon realizing that John was not going to stop preaching the gospel, they decided not to crucify him like they did with some of the other followers of Jesus. Instead, what they did was is they got a huge cauldron, a massive pot, and they filled it with oil and they, they put it over a fire and they heated it up until it was boiling. And John's punishment was that they took him and threw him into a pot of boiling oil. His entire body was, would have been covered in second and third degree burns. Once his body, after he got out, he would have been in excruciating pain. And once his body finally recovered, he would have looked like something that would have been so mangled and so disfigured that it would have made you feel uncomfortable looking at him. But John continued to preach the gospel of Jesus, realizing that no pain was going to be able to subvert his agenda. They then decided to exile him to the island of Patmos. The island of Patmos is a small island in the Aegean Sea, about 200 miles east of Athens, Greece. It's a small island. They said, listen, here's what we're going to do. We can't shut this dude up, so, and we're not going to kill any more of them because the more we kill them, the more people end up turning to Jesus. And so we're going to remove him, or we're going to exile him, or we're going to get him out of the way. And so they exile him to the island of Patmos. And it's while he's on the island of Patmos that he has this revelation. And John, in this moment, in this revelation, who is worthy to open the scroll, to, to loose its seals, to take possession? And nobody was able to do it. And John weeps because he's asking the obvious question. Well, then what is the point of it all? There's all this misery, there's all this pain, there's all this hurt, there's all this brokenness and, and people abusing authority and, 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 and victimization is happening and abuse is happening and, and all of these things, all of these things are going on and John recognizes the significance of the title deed to planet earth and nobody is able to take it and open it. Can I just tell you that's, for a lot of us, that feeling of hopelessness, that feeling of despair, that feeling of what the heck is even happening now is what we've been living in. It's what we've been living through. And as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, for, for many of us, the, this season of, that we have been living in, it, it feels like we have just been beaten up and knocked to the mat. And the will to want to get up again, the will to want to anticipate hope again, has dissipated. And so when John weeps, wondering, God, where are you? What's the point of all of this? I mean, if you're good, if you're loving, if you're kind, if, if you are the, the, the God who promised all of these things in your word, then where are you and why is this happening and why does it never seem to stop? And John recognizes that he's getting a vision of things to come and in the moment, he's feeling crazy depressed. I want you to notice what happens next. Verse five says, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. 
Now, who is the elder? Well, we don't know 100% who this is, but we know that scripture tells us that, there, that in the throne room of God, that there's, there's God the Father, and then there, there's these six creatures, and we'll meet them in a second. And then there's 24 elders around them. And, and there's a lot of speculation on who these elders are, but we don't know 100% for sure who they are. But all we know is that they're really important people. And they're in heaven. And this elder sees John. And he sees John weeping at the, the events as they're unfolding. And this elder comes over to John. And I imagine in the vision, he would put his arm around John, the, the mangled, the disfigured, the, the, the ugly looking John who is broken, knowing the pain that he has endured because of the life that he's lived, proclaiming Jesus. And he sees John weeping. And the elder comes over and he puts his arm around John. And he says, do not weep. This seems kind of crazy in the moment, but what this, what this tells us is something that's significant that offers us some encouragement because like John, you and I only have the vantage point of the here and now. Like John, you and I are only able to see what we can see. But the elder tells John, don't weep. And in him telling, don't weep, he's, he's providing a confidence. He says, listen, John, I know that you don't understand this. I know that you haven't seen this. I know that this is not going to make sense to you, but you don't know what's coming. The elder in heaven is able to have a heavenly perspective, to be able to see from a perspective and a vantage point that John can't see from. And the elder of heaven knows what's getting ready to happen. And the elder comes over to John and says, listen, don't weep because the best is yet to come. He doesn't say it. I say it and it fits really nice with how I'm preaching and I'm preaching and you're not, so I'm going to say it. And I want you to notice what happens, what the elder says to him. He says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Who is this? These are terms and phrases that the Bible uses to describe Jesus. He says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. The elder comes over to John and says, John, you don't understand it. I know that you saw Jesus die and I know that you saw him come back from the grave and I know that you watched him ascend into heaven and I know that you don't understand what's happening to you right now, but allow me for a moment if I can open the window of heaven, if I can speak through that window and help you see what's on the other side of what you can't see, I'm getting ready to tell you what's going to happen because Jesus is here and he's not just, just being lazy. There's something that's going on because Jesus has earned the right to take the title deed for planet earth. Notice what he says next. John, um, John hears this. He says he prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So John hears this. The elder speaks this. He hears this. And then John adjusts his gaze to the center of the circle of the elders, to where God is. And this is what John sees. Verse six, and I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders. So he's talking about, I'm looking in the middle of what's going on, right in the middle of all of it, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. You see, this is Jesus. Scripture refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. When John the Baptist introduced Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John looks in the midst of what's going on in heaven in the very throne room of God, and he sees the Lamb with a mortal wound because it had been slain. And this lamb with its pure white spotless wool, is, is, its wool is drenched in blood and it is there and it is in the midst of it and, and it's just kind of hanging out there. You see, at this very moment, that's what Jesus is doing. This is so significant for us because for every single person who has called on the name of Jesus for salvation, for every person who has trusted in him, who has already died, what is happening is, is when they get to heaven and they get the opportunity to come into heaven and, and God asks the question, why do you deserve to be in my heaven? The lamb of God who is bleeding and bloody says, listen, I died so that they can come in. Their bill's on my tab. 
You see, Jesus is not in heaven just, just flippantly ruling and reigning as some royal prince. No, no, no. Jesus in this very moment is in heaven as his, his blood has been spilled as the Lamb of God before the throne of God constantly saying, that one's on me, that one's on me, that one's on me, that one's on me, that one's on me. And John is amazed at what he sees. Verse seven says, then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. This is Jesus now. Now it's the time for Jesus to get up. Now it's the time for Jesus to take action. And that time is, has not yet happened. It is, to happen, it is to come yet in the future. But the time is going to come where Jesus is no longer going to sit there and go, that one's on me, that one's on me. The time is going to come where he's going to get up and he's going to go into action. And when that comes, this is what's going to happen, that Jesus is going to stand up and he's going to take the scroll, the title deed for planet earth, and he's going to say, in verse eight, it says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, these creatures, by the way, are interesting because they're these angelic kind of beings. They have six wings. Two they fly with, two they cover their eyes, and two they cover their feet. And the Bible tells us that what they say on repeat is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And this, they're just saying this over and over and over again in the throne room of God. And the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Can I just stop for a moment? I just want to speak some, some encouragement to you because listen, I, I have been here and probably you have too. Have you ever been in the situation where you've prayed a prayer over and over and over and over and over again and it felt like God didn't care? It felt like God wasn't listening. It felt like your prayers don't get past the ceiling. Maybe you prayed for God to intervene. Maybe you prayed for God to bring healing. Maybe you prayed for God to right a wrong. And maybe all you heard was silence. Can I tell you something? Listen, God's silence is not him rejecting your prayer. God's silence is not him saying no. God's silence is him simply saying the time's not come yet. Because when the time comes, this bowl of incense filled with the prayers of the saints, those are your prayers. All of the prayers that you have prayed, God, would you move? God, would you show up? God, would you rectify the situation? God, this is so wrong. How can this be? And in the moment when Jesus goes from waiting patiently to taking action, all the bowl that is filled with all of your prayers are finally going to get poured out and God's goodness is going to go into motion and he is going to do something about the wrong and the evil and the darkness and the wickedness that has been going on in this world, the things that you have been praying for God to intervene in. God has not said, I'm not listening to you. He simply said, it's not time yet for me to answer it. Verse nine, and it says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy. They're, they're singing to Jesus now. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and you have redeemed us by God, by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on earth. This is so significant because Jesus doesn't just, just save us to give us some get out of hell free card. No, Jesus doesn't just, just save us for the purpose of knowing that we can get to heaven. Jesus saves us so that we can finally begin to to discover what the point of life really is. When we talk about as a church that we're passionate about helping people discover life, belonging, and purpose and make a difference because we believe that God's word says that you were created for a purpose. And your purpose, the reason why you're here, the reason why you have breath, it's never gonna fully make sense until you become connected with the source of life that's Jesus. What this is saying is, is that Jesus, when he says that uh, has made us kings and priests, doesn't just say that you're going you're to get an opportunity to just skate your way into heaven. No, God has, has made you. Scripture tells us that, that his followers will rule and reign with him in heaven. Verse 11, it says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. I did the math, that's 100 trillion. 100 trillion angels, 100 trillion voices singing and worshiping and proclaiming the voice with one voice, the glory of God. 
And it says, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are as in the sea and all that is in them. I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And then verse 14 says, and the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. This word amen, it, it has been confused lately. Um, apparently someone in Congress felt it was a gender specific term and ended a prayer recently with amen and a women. Y'all think I'm playing. The word amen has no gender correlation. It's a word that literally translated means let it be. You see these living creatures, after they, they see what's happening and they watch Jesus take the, the title deed from planet earth and, and, and all of the, the angels and the, and the armies and the voices of heaven begin to worship Jesus because the time has come and things are getting ready to go into motion now. We're not just waiting patiently now. We're moving into action now and there's gonna be praise. There's gonna be worship as to the glory of God and then these living creatures who don't stop worshiping at the throne of God over and over and over on an endless cycle of repeat, they take a moment moment for a second after they see all that has been laid out before John and then they they don't say it as if like it's this passive words into prayer I believe they say it as a declaration directly to John and they say amen John they're saying it's going to be John John it's going to happen it's just a matter of time and the rest of the book of Revelation is a is a collection of, of descriptions and details of what happens when Jesus begins to open the seals and, 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 and all of these, these judgments are gonna come on planet earth and there's gonna be a lot of people who go, well, that doesn't sound very loving. Listen, God is equal parts love and truth. He can be simultaneously loving and simultaneously righteous at the same time. And as Jesus opens the seals, there's going to be condemnation. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be all kinds of chaos that's going to happen in the world during the end of days. There's going to be wars. There's going to be famine. There's going to be pestilence. There's going to be chaos and anarchy. There's going to be abuse of power. The people who come to follow Jesus in that time are going to be hated and hunted and killed because of what they stand for in opposition to the powers that are forming on planet earth. There's going to be cosmic things that are going to happen, these, these cosmic events from earthquakes to things falling from the sky and, and World War III, and it's all going to be taking place in the midst of all of it, and all of it is going to be setting up the stage for intentionally God is allowing it so that, so that everything can ultimately build up to the final culmination of the ultimate battle between good and evil. And we don't know exactly what it all means, and we don't know... 100% what it's all going to look like, but here's what we do know. We know it's going to be chaotic and it's going to be miserable. It will be the worst time that has ever existed on the history of planet Earth. But it will not be the end. Because Revelation 19 tells us what happens in the end. Jesus comes back. When the world is at its darkest, when things seem like there's, there's no opportunity or possibility for any more hope, joy is gone, life is gone, enthusiasm is gone, love has been evaporated, All, there's just people who hate each other. Everyone's going to do what's right in their own eyes and, and evil is going to win and righteousness is going to be ridiculed. And in the midst of the darkest moment on planet earth, Jesus shows up. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. 
And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. This is Jesus, by the way, in case I wasn't clear. And his eyes were like a flame of fire and his head were many crowns. And he had a name written on them that no one knew except himself. His clothes, uh, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. This is his blood, by the way, that was spilled and shed to pay the price, to buy back the thing that was rightfully his. He created it and then he bought it. And his name is called the word of God and the armies in heaven, that hundred trillion strong that I talked about early, earlier, the armies of heaven, here they are, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horses. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword with it. It should strike the nations. And he himself will rule with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. That's a lot of weird imagery and it's hard to think about, but let me translate what it means. It means that when Jesus shows up, he's not taking any prisoners. He's not playing any games. The time for games is done and he's going to show his final authority. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. And I love this because there's a lot of people who think they're all that. There's a lot of people who think they're really important. There's a lot of people who think that they are the king of the world. There's a lot of people who think because they own a little something, because they've experienced a little something, because they've done a little something, because they had their name in the lights of a little something, that they think that they're something. But on that day, Jesus is going to show up and say, listen, y'all ha- y'all been tripping all along because you see, I'm the king and not just the king. I'm the king of all the kings and I'm not just a Lord. I don't just possess some land. I own all the land. I'm the Lord of all the Lords and I'm showing up now and this is mine and I'm taking it back. So if you want to stand against me, good luck, but you don't have a chance. And the moment when it happens, it's going to be an epic moment in human history. Nobody's going to miss it. It's not going to be some subtle thing that's going to happen under the radar. No, no, no. When Jesus comes back, the entire globe is going to know about it. And the Bible tells us that all the nations of the world are going to mourn at this moment. Why? Why would the nations of the earth mourn when Jesus comes back? Because at that point, all the nations of the world will have become united in opposition to God. And what they know when Jesus shows up is, oh, crap. It's like that moment, if you can think about when you were a kid or maybe you think about your kids and they're arguing and they're fussing and they're fighting and screaming and yelling and all that kind of stuff and all of a sudden dad yells out, hey! Or like my mom said, I don't care who starts it, I'll finish it. That was the worst sentence anyone could ever hear in the history of the universe. Except for your father will take care of this when he gets home. You see, this moment is God the Father taking care of business because he's home again. And what happens after all of this is going to be an epic war. And it's going to be really anticlimactic. There's going to be a lot of buildup, a lot of anticipation, but it's going to be done. And evil will be gone. Darkness will be gone. The devil will be gone. Sin will be done away with. Death will be no more. Sickness will be no more. Disease will be no more. Brokenness will be no more. Anxiety will be no more. Depression will be no more. Alcoholism will be no more. Identity issues will be no more. Brokenness in relationships will be no more. Because Jesus is going to usher in a time that is going to be perfect. And, and the Bible calls it a new heaven and a new earth. You see, what we know and what we experience now is that earth and heaven are separate. But when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth that are no longer separate, but they are one. And the new heaven and the new earth is going to be familiar to the old earth and the old heaven, meaning there's going to be all kinds of things that we do now that are going to carry over to what we know and experience and live and feel then. With the difference being that there will be no negativity, nothing critical, nothing, nothing bad that could ever happen. It will always only ever be good because Jesus will be on the throne and because darkness will be defeated. You say, great, awesome, thanks, preacher man, got it. It's gonna be fun. 
But what does this have to do with us? How does this affect us? Well, that's a great question. It was 2008. Jessica and I had been married just about a year. And we started getting into this show called 24. Anybody ever heard of it? Jack Bauer. We were into a hook, line, and sinker. By this time, they were in, I think, season six or seven. And some friends of ours told us about it. I'm like, sweet, I'm in for a good show. We were on Netflix back in the day when you mailed the DVDs in, you know, and you could watch like four episodes and then you had to wait three days for the next one to come in. You want to talk about purgatory. (laughs) Do a little happy dance when the DVD comes in the mail. We weren't married, well, we were married, but we didn't have kids at the time. And so, you know, we thought we were busy then. And we started watching and we got into it, you know, and it's, it's, if you don't know, 24 is a story, it's a fast-paced action type show uh, that tells the story of, of counterterrorism agent Jack Bauer, which is Kiefer Sutherland. And, and Jack Bauer is like a one-man anti-terrorism wrecking crew. Like if we had Jack Bauer before 2001, 2001 would have never happened. <laughs> Peanut gallery. <laughs> Love it. And inevitably, he, 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 he kind of does his own thing. He doesn't follow orders. He doesn't always obey commands, but he always acts in the interest, the best interest of the country. The problem is, is he's married and he has a daughter and his daughter continues to make the dumbest decisions. And if you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. And inevitably what happens is we're watching the first season. I mean, it takes about three or four episodes and, I, and we're just in hook, line, and sinker. We get to episodes like 11 and 12 and things are so tense and, and, and we're in. I mean, we're starting to get, you know how when you get into a show, like you don't realize it until the credits roll and you're like, whew, whew, shake that. I was nervous. We get to like the next to last episode and Jack is in a perilous situation. You're thinking there's no way he's gonna get out. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not possible. I mean, there's no way that you can envision a scenario. I mean, it's checkmate on Jack Bauer. He's done. He's toast. His wife, his daughter, they're done. They're toast. America's gone. Goodbye. President's going to get murdered again, right? And all these things are going to happen. And and, and I remember watching him being like, oh my gosh, this is crazy, Jack. What are you doing? And and, and I can't think of how it's going to end up. But as we ended the next to last episode, going into the last episode, I had an epiphany. I had a revelation. Hold on a second. (laughs) They're already in the season six of this Joker and he's still there. (laughs) What am I nervous about? I know, I don't know exactly how the story ends, but I know that Jack doesn't lose here. Listen, I'm just coming to tell you today that I don't know what your season has been. I don't know what your story has been. I don't know what you've been carrying through this season of your life. I don't know the burdens and the weight. I don't know the the defeats that you have endured. I don't know the losses that you've gone through. But I have a spoiler alert news for you today that Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to obliterate all of the darkness and all of the evil and all of the wickedness. And I just have to tell you today, when you know how the story ends, it changed how you watch the story. You see, season after season, as we went along, I was like, how's he going to get out of it? I already know he does. And when I know that he gets out of it, it changes the emotions. It changes the way that I feel about it. I don't get so emotionally invested. And I'm trying to tell you today that if you're curious about how it all ends, all you have to do is turn to the back of the book. And when you turn to the back of the book, what you see is that Jesus has come, he comes back and he wins and he wins the day. And it changes the way that we endure and the way that we live in this situation. What I'm trying to help you see is, is that when you have perspective in the moment of how the story is going to ultimately end, it changes the way that you view the situation in the moment. Doesn't matter how dark it is. Doesn't matter how bad it is. It's going to suck. But it's not going to be the end. You see, here's the spoiler alert. Jesus is going to come back. And this time he won't be a baby in a manger. But he's going to be a conquering king ready to reign. What does that mean for us? 
means that he's gonna win the final battle. Darkness and all of its forms are gonna be annihilated. Goodness and righteousness will reign. And what it means for us is two things. Number one, it means that we win. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you belong to him, if you have moved from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive by trusting in him for your salvation, it means that you win. Doesn't matter, well, whatever it is that you're facing right now and you're asking, is it the end of me? The answer is no, it's not. It's not the end of you. This is gonna destroy me. No, no, it won't. How can I ever recover from this? I don't know, but you will. Can anybody love me? Does anybody see? Does anybody care? Yes, yes, yes. Because in Jesus, the best is yet to come. And in Jesus, we win. Here's the second thing of what it means for us today. It means that there is work to do. You see, I told you at the beginning that we're suspended between a thing that happened, the resurrection of Christ, and the thing that's yet to come, the return of Christ. And we're suspended in this moment, and we don't know how long this moment's going to last. There's a lot of things that happen in this suspended moment. A lot of things that are great, a lot of things that bring us joy and happiness, enthusiasm, excitement, and purpose. And there's a lot of things that bring brokenness and hurt and devastation and pain. So when we pray those prayers, God, where are you? God, don't you care? God, why are you silent? Why are you distant? What's going on, God? You will be inclined to think that it means that God's silence reveals that his, he, he doesn't care about you. But it's in those moments that God's silence doesn't reveal his lack of care for you. It reveals his love for the world. And it reveals his patience. Because see, the time's gonna come where the Lamb of God is not going to remain static before the throne of God, the time is gonna come when the Lamb of God is going to get up on his feet and he is gonna go into action. And when that time comes, then it's over. So what are we to do between now and then? Second Peter gives us a glimpse. It says this in chapter three, verse eight. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. When you feel like God is quiet, when God is silent, when God is distant, when you feel like things are unrighteous and inequitable and this doesn't make sense and it doesn't square with the God that you know and and it begins to make you question, is God good? Is God loving? Is he really powerful? Is he really who he says he is? Don't forget this one thing. That with the Lord, the day, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. You see, in the same way that the elder came to John and said, John, I know that you're crying and you're weeping because all you know is what you know. And in the same way that the elder said, there's a whole lot of things that you don't know, that you can't see, that you can't understand, that I do know. A heavenly perspective that you don't have the opportunity to have the vantage point of. You see, in this verse, what it's saying is is that God's clock doesn't work like yours. And we always want things now, now, now. God, show up now, do it now. Where are you now? But God is saying time and heaven works different. What's like a day to you is like a thousand years to me. And what's like a thousand years to you is like a day for me. Remember this, verse nine, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. You see, God made a promise. Over and over and over, he makes a promise that he wins. Over and over and over, he makes a promise that that evil will not win the day, that wickedness will not win the day, that darkness will not win the day, that the devil will not get the final say. But he's not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but he's long-suffering. He's patient. And here's why. Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
You see, here's the truth. Every single person on the planet, regardless of how much you like them or hate them, love them or dislike them, how, how good or evil that they are, can I tell you that every single person that's on the planet that has a beat in their heart and breath in their lungs, God created them. He wired them. He knit them and formed them together and they, when they were in their mother's womb. And he's done the same for you. God is in heaven. While we say, come Jesus, man, can you just put an end to this? Can we just go to heaven? Can we just, can we just be done with it? If you're a follower of Jesus, that, 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 that oftentimes the perspective, I hear that amongst church circles. Huh? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And everybody goes, amen. But for the people that are close to you, but far from God, here's what God is doing. I don't want to do that yet. Because when I pull the plug and when it's over, then it's over. The opportunity for God to be able to live and dwell in eternity in perfect harmony and peace with those he created, it will be done. And there will be a dividing line. And in that moment, there will be people through the blood of Jesus that will have the opportunity to spend eternity with God and their loved ones who accepted Christ in heaven. And those who didn't will spend the rest of eternity in hell. And there is a misconception that God is, is condemning. He's evil. He's vengeful for sending people to hell. But listen, God doesn't send people to hell. He allows people to go to hell. Because if people live their entire life rejecting God, saying, God, I don't need you. God, I don't want you. God, I don't care about you. I don't need you. I can do my own thing. Then God is so loving and he is so gracious and he is so kind that he is not going to force himself on them for the rest of eternity. This is what God is saying to us. If you're a follower of Jesus, listen to me. Yes, you win. Praise God, amen, and hallelujah. There's hope because of that. But until the Lamb of God gets up, there's work for us to do to show and demonstrate the love of Jesus to the people that are close to us but far from God. See, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to convince you that the best is yet to come. I'm trying to convince you that this year can be a comeback year because scripture teaches that Jesus, the son of God, is the comeback kid who came back from the grave. I believe that the best is yet to come because scripture teaches us that Jesus is the comeback king who will one day come back and reign over the whole earth. I believe that the best is yet to come because Jesus is the author of the comeback. He's the finisher of the comeback. And I believe that if you will trust in him by faith for salvation, and if you will live by faith in him, then I believe the best is yet to come for you. You say, pastor, I don't, you don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know what I did. You don't know what I've been through. I don't. All I know is my story. And I know that if God can do it for me, there's nobody that he can't do it for. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today?